Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in six different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church or how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. A, ser- a series called According to Peter, and uh, these are things that Peter has told us later in life as he's matured. We're looking specifically at 1 Peter and 2 Peter, two letters that he had written. In the first week, we looked back on his life as it, it revealed us in the Gospels, saw some ups and some downs, and how many of you remembered, I can relate to Peter, the things that he's going on. The second week, um, we called it Living Hope. And we learned that because God's word is living, because Christ is living, that our hope can be living as well. And it's a good thing. We have this inheritance that we've been given, but we're not there yet. And we need that hope to get us where God wants us to be. And there's more for me to do. And then last week or the week before last when I was here, we looked at what it looked like to be different. Different. The fact that since we're now different, we must think differently so that we can behave differently and we need to run remember we talked about how our purity matters in what we're trying to accomplish and what God's trying to accomplish in us and today is our fourth week in this series I've got great news we're going to get out of chapter one today Um, we're going to cover 75 verses and dissect the original language of some key words and phrases and I think I just lost half of you here in 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 the room Uh, y'all are saying bring pastor Eugene back he was funny he, he, was, he was funny. No, truth be told, I'm just kidding. We're only going to look at 16 verses. You see what I did there? 16 doesn't seem as large as 75 when you lead uh, that way. And I only speak English. Um, so you're good, unless, of course, you don't speak English. And then at least you'll have somebody good looking to look at while you try to figure out what it is I'm saying. We left off talking about our purity. And uh, Peter picks right back up, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. We're going to spend the rest of our time just walking through this letter today. Here's what he says. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Kind of a confusing phrase, the way the Greek translates into English here. But the Greek form of that phrase, having purified, brings an instance of the past into the present. In other words, a present consequence of a past reality. You were saved in the past, and that's bearing weight on your present. It was completed with continuing results. I mean, no, God doesn't just do something in your life to do it once. He wants to do something in your life so he can do something through your life. And that's what we're seeing in some of this language that's here. It was striking to me, though, that Our English translations translated it this way, that there would be love, love. Y'all see that in the verse? This would all come from a brotherly love, and then the love, that's that's a noun and a verb. Same word, but listen, his audience wouldn't have read the same word, right? There were two different words in the Greek. The first love that you read there is the word Philadelphia. It's where we get a brotherly love from the second word the verb there is agape that's divine love that's god's love it's a selfless love and it's a love of action it's going in other words here's what he's saying this thing happened in your past and is still having an impact on your present your present condition now requires future action that's basically what he's saying in the middle of this. It's a way of saying your obedience to the truth, your submission to Jesus Christ, becoming Lord and Savior of your life has divinely brought you into a brotherly love. Now go and do divine love for other people. That's what he's saying. Come to this point. Here's, here's what, according to Peter, I would say, you were loved, now go love. You were loved, now go love. There's, it's a difference. You can be in a room like this on a Sunday morning, and you can feel the welcome. You can feel the hospitality. You can feel the love that's in the room. We just ended a season or a period of meet and greet where everybody got to go around and shake some hands. How many of you felt loved? Absolutely. It's a different kind of love when you show up at a park on Saturday afternoon in a part of town that you don't, maybe, maybe don't always visit, and you give out of love from an action to help others. One of them is Philadelphia, the other is agape. 
You see the difference? What God has done in your life is present, it's real, but it requires you to go out and do a little bit more. You've done all of this and received this brotherly love, now go agape out for other people. Verse 23, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, perishable and imperishable. Let me talk about that for a second. Perishable, quickly ending, coming to an end, expiration date, right? Don't go to the fridge and drink the milk if the expiration date has already passed. It's perishable. It's not going to go well for you. But imperishable is this. It lasts forever. What you've been saved with, what's been planted inside of you is not something that's going to have an expiration date. It's something that's going to last forever. Look at this quote from Isaiah that Peter gives us. We're reading in Peter, but he's quoting Isaiah. And then I'll unpack both of these verses together. Verse 24. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Perishable, quickly ending, imperishable, Last forever. What the flesh sees, this verse tells us, is like grass and flowers. It withers and it falls. You see that? What the flesh sees is going to fall. What the word says, however, does what? Remains forever. It lasts forever. According to Peter, you can't love others if you make a big deal about things that end quickly, that don't last, that don't matter. I'll unpack it for a little bit because it got quiet in the room. That's either a, ooh, that hit home, or I have no idea what you're talking about, Pastor Don. Let me help you. Flesh sees only temporary. Only temporary. Flesh sees our skin color, not our spirits. Okay. Flesh sees where we came from, but flesh doesn't see where we're going. Where we came from is temporary. Where we're going is imperishable. It's, it's eternal. Flesh sees politics. Mm. Go look this up. I promise you. Go look this up. The definition for politics. Anybody knows what it is in the dictionary? Here's what it says. What seems sensible under the circumstances. I was amazed. You're kidding me. You mean all of politics is just what somebody thought was right in the moment based on the circumstances that they were in? It's temporary. Get your history books and go look this up. Sometime between the 1860s and the 1930s, the Democratic Party of small government became the party of big government. The Republican Party of big government back then became the party that was now committed to curbing federal power. They switched. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about because Fox News and CNN doesn't tell you this. They don't, but it's true. It's true. We can say the same thing about racial issues. Go back to 1860. Racial issues existed. 2023, racial issues. Look at the political parties. They've switched. What about injustices? Somewhere over that time period, even social welfare, based on the circumstances, sensible political divisions were changed. Why today do we have so many people who anchor their lives to a political party and not to eternal truths? That's my question. If politics itself is just what's sensible in the time, why are you anchored to something that was sensible in a moment that may not be sensible now? How do you live your life knowing that what's sensible today is going to make sense later? You can't do that. All flesh is like grass. It withers and it falls. Don't anchor and align your life to something that will change. You've been born again with seed that is imperishable. It will not change. Political parties have changed their beliefs, but the word of God that says that all life is to be protected from the womb to the tomb, that hasn't changed. The word of God says that women are to be valued, cherished, respected, co-heirs in Christ. That hasn't changed. The word of God that says we're supposed to help the less fortunate, 
to be generous with our abundance, to provide for those in need. The political party that has prioritized that has changed over the years. But how many of you are grateful that this word right here has not changed? Now I'm with you, this is not how I grew up. I grew up, my parents said, this is what we believe. And whatever the political party said, that's how we did. I was raised to believe it. But listen, once he saved me, once I started reading in this word, once I started to learn it, it changed me. And I found myself aligning with this word, not a platform. Now, my extended family gets very frustrated with me when we talk politics. And, and they'll say, I, I, I can't tell who you vote for. Yeah, I, I think that should be the case. Uh, Don, I don't know if you're Republican or Democrat. I'm neither, I'm a Christian. I've aligned myself with this word and it determines how I vote, why? Because it doesn't change, your politics will change. All right, here's what I think Peter's trying to tell us. According to Peter, you've been loved, now go love. And as you love, don't love based on what your flesh sees. Love based on what the word says. You're going to have a choice. It's going to be easier to love according to what your flesh sees. But this word says you've got to love according to what the spirit sees, the things that are eternal. Don't make a big deal about something that's going to change or something that isn't going to last. Let's make a big deal about something that is eternal that's going to remain. Anybody here with me so far today? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. Congratulations, we only have several more chapters to go. Verse 1, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Well, how do you do that, Pastor Don? How do you do that, Peter? Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, interesting phrase, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Pure spiritual milk. Any milk drinkers here today? I'm not talking about soy milk and almond milk and oat milk and all the other kind of milk. How do you even milk a soybean, Isaac? I, I, I don't. I'm talking about the milk, milk, like from a cow. Pour it in the glass, it sticks to the side of the glass. Some of you are like, no, I'm just 2%. I'm just 2%. I don't like all that extra fat in my milk. I'm just the 2%. You probably don't realize this, but your whole milk is 3%. Some of you are like, what? Whole milk is 3%. 2% is 2%. Okay, three and a half, but you get my point. You get my point. The things you learn at Our Savior's Church. Some of you are going to go get mad at your mama. Um, that's not my fault. It's not my fault. When I was growing up, I would like strawberry milk. Any strawberry milk fans? All right, you had a little bit of strawberry syrup. Who's the chocolate milk fans in the room? Oh, the vast majority of you are chocolate milk. I still like a good bit of chocolate milk ever so often. Oh, Pastor Don, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the sweetness and the flavors that we add to milk in order to make it more palatable. You do know that people do that with the Word of God too, don't you? Oh yeah, the pure biblical truth that in some places is a bit hard to hear. Right? We try to sweeten it when we read this book with a little bit of cultural context. No, 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 no. Gender, gender roles in our sexualities are different today. So we have to think about that when we read what this book says or we, maybe we thin it out a little bit with some modern psychology because how you feel is more important than what you obey. Or... We avoid it altogether. How many of you don't drink milk? Yeah, you just avoid it altogether because my political party says that they should be working as hard as I do when in reality I don't like the taste of the Bible when it says I've been blessed to be a blessing. You see the difference? Look at this side note for just a second, not in Peter, but very relevant. Proverbs 13.22 in the ESV says this, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Oh, we like that. But the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Mm-hmm, absolutely. We like that one. But you know what the very next verse says? 
the very next verse that came out of Solomon's mouth when he wrote that, the fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. This may be hard to swallow, but people aren't always poor because of their own doing. And I'll tell you, this is true also from God's word. People who are poor don't have to stay that way either. It's both and, but we try to sweeten it. We try to add some flavor because it makes it more palatable. And listen, we need the pure spiritual milk of this word, not the sweetened, diluted, or avoided buffets of milk that won't stand the test of time. How many think Peter has something he's trying to say to us today that's relevant? If you live your life according to this word, it will keep you from malice. It will keep you from deceit. It will keep you from hypocrisy and envy and slander. Everybody take a breath. We're changing gears. Verse 4. Verse 4 transitions to an illustration that kind of combines their Jewish roots with some of the temple sacrifices and modern architecture, buildings and structures that they would have seen. I can almost see Peter among these big stone architecture buildings. And you know how they create those? They go and they quarry stone. They carve it out. They shape it up. It's, it's um, hewn and shaped and carved and then strategically placed together. And that's how you see all these big, impressive buildings. So think about that when Peter's saying this. Verse four, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, You yourselves are like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The living stone rejected by men was Jesus Christ himself. But Peter's saying, you yourselves are like living stones. You're selected, you're shaped, you're carved, and strategically placed into something that God is building, not just in you, but he's building it with you. I'm going to connect some dots to week one. We talked about, remember the travels that Jesus and the disciples did on their way to Caesarea Philippi? That was where he asked, who do, who do people say that I am? And then he asked, who do you say that I am? And one of Peter's shining moments, he says, you're the Christ. And Jesus looked at him and said, yeah, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you right? It was, a, it was a moment, right? And he said, on this rock, on the revelation that I am the Christ, I will build my church. On this revelation, I will build something. Peter's drawing back into that moment, and he gives us a picture today, and it's saying this, those of us who believe in Christ have that revelation and are like rocks and stones that he's building into a spiritual house. God is using you to build a spiritual house. He's using you. Larry, Lenora, God is using you to build a house. Ron, God is using you to build a house. You are living stones. Mark, he's using you to build a house. I could go room by room by room. He's using you. Tamika, he's using you to build a house. You've been selected, shaped, carved, hewn, placed strategically for what he's trying to do in the middle of this place. Do you see that? Okay, do you see how relational this is for Peter? Here's what he's saying. Man, once I'm born again, I'm supposed to run. There's something for me to do. I'm supposed to love others. I'm supposed to obey this word and work on my purity. Why? Because I need to fit I need to fit alongside the work that God is doing in these other people so I can be a part of what God is building. Do you see that in the text here? According to Peter, I'm a living stone. My life is being used by God to build something bigger than myself, larger than anything I could do on my own. As he continues, Peter pulls a quote from Isaiah 26, one from back in Psalms 118, and then another from Isaiah chapter 8. And he makes this point. For it stands in scripture. Here's his Isaiah 26 quote. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. 
Here's Pastor Don's best attempt version. You know what I'm talking about? Not the new IV or the ESV or the NLT. This is not theologically sound in so much as it's my best attempt to help you understand what he's saying. This is what I think he's saying. God is building something, and it's entirely based on the life of Jesus. It's an honor to be a part of it. And those who believe and obey are being built up by it, but those who do not believe and who do not obey the word won't get to simply ignore it. They will be tripped up by it. They're going to become mad, angry, and offended. You do know that in this life there are people who are going to get mad at you for the way that God has called you to live. Not because they're rejecting you, it's because they've chosen to reject Jesus and they keep running into and stumbling upon the timeless truths that the word of God says that he lived out in his life. You see that? You see that? Pastor Jacob says this, I love it. You don't break these commandments. These commandments break you. How many of you found yourself at a place where you were broken? You were broken because you weren't living according to this. You didn't break that law. That law broke you. It does not change. It is timeless and truth. You were loved, Peter would say. Now go love. Don't anchor to temporary things that your flesh sees. Anchor to the word that does not change. God is wanting to use you like a stone to build something great with some other stones. And we're going to wrap up with these last two verses, but I need you to remember something about Peter's audience. Remember, the Jews were God's chosen people. You couldn't be a Jew unless you traced your lineage back to Abraham and the covenant promise that he, God made with Abraham. It was a big deal for them to learn and to know who their ancestors were. Where you were born made all the difference. The priests, the priests were part of a very specific family within the Jews. You had to be born into priesthood. Some of you can't fathom doing the same job your dad has done. Some of you daddies would love your son to do that. If you were born as a tribe of Levi, you were a priest. You were in this lane. You didn't have the choice. Their right standing before God was based upon their ability to follow over 600 laws that affected every facet of their life. So when Peter helps us see that as a Christian, we're born again. None of that matters anymore. There's a new birth, a new family, a new lineage, a new heritage that you and I were born again to. It means something when he jumps into verse nine. He's, remember the previous verse says they stumble because they disobey as they were destined to do. Verse nine, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's a great verse to memorize for those of you that are looking for little nuggets along the way. According to Peter, number one, I am chosen. I didn't earn. I'm chosen. I didn't earn. Everything I have before the foundation of the world, he knew me. He knows who I'm capable of becoming too. It's easy for us to think, oh, God knows who I am, but it's hard for us to think that maybe he's doing everything he's doing in your life so you can become the person he's always known you could be. I'm chosen. I'm chosen, and I'm worth it. I'm worth it. You need to believe that about yourself. I'm worth it. Here's the second thing. I am royal. I have privilege. Do you know you have access to the king? No mediator, no scheduled appointment, no only at certain times of the year, every single day, hour by hour, instantly in the moment that you need it. Why? Because you're royal. He made you royal. You have access to the king. Number three, I'm a priest. I'm a priest. What does that mean? It means I have responsibility. As a priest, you didn't just stand before God for yourself. You stood before God for others. You served them. You're a royal priesthood, a people that has access to God at any point in time so you could stand before somebody else and God. You with me? You're walking in the supermarket and you see somebody and they're struggling. You're royal. You have access to God. You're a priest. You stand before God. You can walk up. Hey, can I pray for you? Walking down the aisle this morning, loving and greeting and touching on people like I do. If, you're, if you don't like people touching on you, I'm sorry. It's my love language. I'm just loving you. 
Let me touch. I'll be gone in a minute. You can go back to, you know, don't touch me. I'm walking down the aisle. I grab Ron by the shoulder. He's like, ah, my, my, my shoulder hurts. Ah, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. But I've got access. I've got access. Let's pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, and I laid my hand on that shoulder that I just hurt, and I asked that God would heal it and would touch it. I've got access. I am royal, but I'm also a priest. I've got responsibility. There are people in your life that don't know what God is like because nobody's standing before them to show them who God is. He's made you a priest. Number four, I'm holy. I'm set apart, and I'm growing into my holiness every single day. Holiness isn't perfect. It's different, but it's not just different from my past. How many of you are different from who you used to be? Look at me. Tomorrow, you need to be different from who you are today. I'm walking into this holiness. I'm growing every single day. I am right before God the moment I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but I am far from being like Christ. And I'm going to continue to grow every single day. I'm holy. I'm set apart. I'm growing. I was having a conversation this week at another campus. A young girl who's a staff member there. And I asked her, we were talking about running and, and that. And I said, are you a runner? Oh, you know, Pastor Don, I like to run. I said, that's not what I asked you. Are you a runner? Well, I mean, I, I, I like to run. I said, okay, listen, you're not hearing me. The reason why you're having a hard time committing to running is because you don't see yourself as a runner. If you would just stand up and say, hey, I'm a runner, it's going to make a difference in your mind. And when you're laying in bed and you're trying to figure out, do I need to get out of bed or not, you don't tell yourself, well, I like to run sometimes. No, you say, I'm a runner, and that's what runners do. We get up when it's cold outside, when it's wet, when it's hot outside, and we run because that's what runners do. Don't think that this doesn't work. Some of you are still telling people that you're a smoker trying to quit. Stop saying that. Say, I'm not a smoker. I'm not a smoker. And when you align your identity with your confession, things start to happen in your life. Don't look at me and say, I am holy, I'm set apart. And like, well, I like to be holy sometimes. I'm set apart when I feel good. No, 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 you are holy. You are set apart. And if you'll say that to yourself, you'll avoid half the temptations that come to you in your life. You are holy. Number five. Y'all good? I got a couple more of these. We could end here if you want. Number five. I'm his. I'm his. I'm not my own. The moment I'm born again, I don't belong to myself. What does that mean? What does that mean? That means there are things that I don't do because I'm not me. I'm his. I'm not mine. I'm his. He wouldn't want his creation that he's been working on, that he's been crafting, that he has a plan for, that he's been selecting and shaping and hewing and and getting ready to place as a living stone in this house. He wouldn't want that stone to go through that trouble, so I'm not going to put myself in that situation. I'm his. And I don't care if everybody who you've ever loved has left you. He has not left you. You are his. You are his. And he is faithful. He is faithful. I am safe and I'm secure. I may struggle, but look at me. I'm his. I'm his. According to Peter, that verse, number six, so I can proclaim to others. The darkness that he's taken me from into the marvelous light was so that I could proclaim to other people what he's done. What would you say that Peter would say, God is building. What do you think he would say? We've been talking about Peter. We've been seeing these things. We've been listening to to his letter to us. According to Peter, what is God building? Is he building a church? Is he building a family? I would argue that Peter would say he's building a voice. He's building a mouthpiece. He's building a trumpet. A group of people so different so on fire, so set apart, and so positioned that they have to proclaim what he's done because they cannot be silent about it. What's God building? He's building you. 
but not so you could be quiet. Not so you could sit there, slip into church and slip back out into a world that doesn't know you've been changed. Into a world that has no idea the darkness you've come out of, into the light. He didn't bring you from that darkness to bring you into the light so you could be quiet about it. He brought you so you could talk, so you could share, so that you could proclaim. And all throughout history, Christianity has demonstrated this one thing. Those who believe proclaim. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, Psalms 107 tells us. I've been redeemed. I need to say so. I need to say something about it. In fact, it was this very same week, over 2,000 years ago, Easter week, Palm Sunday, the very first group of Christians who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, they stood at the entrance and they proclaimed, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're not just standing there saying this cool word. They're saying, you see this guy coming in, seated on this donkey? He comes in the name of the Lord. And he's blessed. God has chosen him. God has set him apart. He is the Messiah. That was just a big deal. These guys had to go public. It was no longer just sitting there. This was the triumphal entry. He was making his way. He was demonstrating for the first time publicly, I am who I said I am. And everybody that believed couldn't stand by and watch him do what he said he was going to do. They stood there and they shouted and they sing, and they proclaim, and they told somebody, they told everybody. So let me ask you this Easter week, Palm Sunday today, going into what God is doing, what are you proclaiming this week? And who are you proclaiming it to? Please don't slip in here today and slip out and think, man, he was a little aggressive today, but His hair was good. Don't. I want you to leave here so fired up. I want you to leave here going, God has done something in my life. I know there's a lot he still needs to do, but he's done something. I got to tell somebody. I got to tell somebody. What if they reject me? What if they don't? What if they don't come to church? What if they do? What if they call me a hypocrite? They would know what one is. That's okay. I'm not perfect. I'm growing. And if they saw the darkness that he brought you from, they would look at the light and they would think, man, if God can do it for him, he can do it for me. What are you proclaiming? Who are you proclaiming it to? Don't let this be a week where you miss an opportunity to invite somebody. Easter's coming. I went to church on Easter because somebody invited me. I want to challenge you to invite somebody. Last verse, and then we'll close. 1 Peter 2.10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Remember, Peter's writing to Christians. But I'm keenly aware that in every gathering we have, there are those in here that are not Christians. Maybe you're checking it out. You haven't trusted and believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'm not saying you're hostile. I'm not saying you're opposed to Jesus. I'm saying maybe you're just curious. Maybe you've been trying church for a while, trying to see what all the excitement is, what all the hype is. Maybe you're hurt just generally unsure if this is real or not I don't want to pressure you into a decision I don't want to try to use a bunch of wordsmithing to talk you into something listen if I can talk you into it somebody else can talk you out of it I want to help you see that the Holy Spirit is the one that opens your eyes and opens your heart that brings life to dead spiritual things inside of you But I do want to tell you 
what Peter is saying here as he writes this last verse. Before you're a Christian, you're alone. Sure, you may have family and friends, but you don't have a people. You don't have a people. And also, before you're a Christian, you don't have mercy. You don't have it. What are you talking about, Pastor Tom? Last week, Pastor Eugene spoke about grace. G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. Grace is receiving what you don't deserve. What is mercy? Mercy is not receiving what you do deserve. And Peter would tell you, if you're not a Christian, you do not have mercy. You will receive what you deserve. And it's scary and it's sobering, but it's truth. And I wouldn't be the pastor to you that I want to be if I didn't tell you. If you don't know Jesus, not only do you not have peace, you do not have mercy. You do not have mercy. Without Jesus in your life, surrendered to him, without mercy, you'll receive everything you deserve. What are you talking about? Romans walks us through it. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, his righteous standard. That's Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23, just a few chapters later, the wages of sin, the payment that is due for sin is death eternal separation from God without mercy that's what you receive but the gift of God it tells us is eternal life through Christ Jesus Pastor Don how do I what do I do chapter 5 verse 8 of that same book says God demonstrated his love in this way that while you were a sinner Christ died for you And just a few chapters later in Romans 8, I'm sorry, Romans 10, 8 and 9. If you believe in your heart and confess in your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. You'll be born again. You'll be a Christian. You'll receive that mercy. I want to invite you to bow your head. And I do this every week because I don't want you to be distracted about what's going on around you. I want you to be listening to my voice be listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you. This whole thing is contingent upon the work of the Holy Spirit. You must be born again. If you're physically dead, you have no physical appetite. Dead bodies aren't hungry. And if you're spiritually dead, you have no spiritual appetite. You have no craving for spiritual things. What does a spiritual appetite look like? I would say it looks like this, A, B, C. God's given you a spiritual appetite for the first time. You'll be able to admit that you're a sinner. A is admit. Admit that your sin has separated you from a righteous and loving God. And as a result of the choices that you've made to do it your way, you've separated yourself from a God who has not changed. B, believe. If you've got a spiritual appetite, if the Holy Spirit has brought your dead spiritual life, you'll be able to believe that God sent his son Jesus, not just for all of us, for you. Man, the first time that became so real to my life, for me. A, admit, B, believe, and C, confess. The Holy Spirit has done this work in your life today. You'd be able to confess Jesus is Lord and Savior. It's easy when you struggle, when life is hard for a savior. But what about the Lord part? That's the important part. That's where it really matters. When you wake up and you say, I know God's word says this and I want to do differently, but I'm no longer my own. He's Lord. I'm ready to give him control of my life. I'm ready to let him drive. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, I can admit, I believe, and I can confess. Jesus is Lord of my life and I'm ready to surrender my life to him. I want to walk out of here with the confidence to know that if I died, I'd receive mercy. The next face I see would be the face of Jesus in a heaven that's been waiting for me up to this moment. And I want to invite you 
If you're here, I'm gonna pray with you to be born again. That's not a Catholic word. That's not a Protestant word. That's a Jesus word. He said, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't even see the kingdom of heaven unless you've been born again. With every head bowed and every eyes closed, I'm gonna ask you to do one simple thing so I know who I'm praying with. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. Right there where you're seated, if you'd like me to pray with you to be born again, to acknowledge that work that the Holy Spirit has done in your life today. It only happens once. But if you're here and you say, Pastor Don, would you pray with me? Raise your hand right now so I know who I'm praying with. Let me see, I'm looking. Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you, see your hand. If you raise your hand, look at me so I can know. Thank you, I see your hand. I want you to know when I see you. Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. If you raise your hand, you can put them down. One more time before we pray. Pastor Don, I didn't raise my hand, but I want to now. The Holy Spirit's doing a work in my life. One more time across this room, and then we'll pray. Thank you, I see your hand. I'm glad I asked. I want to invite everybody, especially those of you that raised your hand, but also the rest of us here in the room. I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. It's not the prayer that saves you. The Holy Spirit saved you when he revealed and opened your eyes to the reality. But say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. And I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. And I declare that God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And the Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Can we celebrate with all those who were born again? If that was you and you raised your hand to be born again, can I encourage you? Look in the pew back in front of you. Grab that blue Get Connected card. There's a box on there that says, I have decided. You can check that box, and it'll let us know all that we need to be able to connect with you and your family. Did you guys enjoy service today? Listen, God placed this on my heart this morning as I was praying for you in the service and asking that God would bring everybody in here that he would bring that needed to hear this word. And I knew the week that we're walking into. And this is what I want to do before we're dismissed. We're going to keep the doors closed. When Jesus ascended, he made a promise. And he said, I'm going. My father will send a helper in my place. And this helper is going to make a big difference in your life. It's called the Holy Spirit. We don't get to walk with Jesus every single day. We walk with the Holy Spirit. Here's what scripture tells us will happen when the Holy Spirit comes. Acts 1.8, look at this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What did God promise? What did Jesus promise when the Holy Spirit would come would take place in your life? power the Holy Spirit coming is, is, is a separate instance it's a separate moment where you as a child of God can raise your hands and say God I need power I need help I need you to equip me I, I, it, it's, it's not power to do better at your job it's not that, that's, that, that helps but it's power to be what a witness. You don't know the people I work with, Pastor Don. They laughed at the last Christian that worked here. They mocked him. They looked for every mistake he would make. You don't know the people I work with. You're right, I don't. But I know what you need. You need power. You need power. Pastor Don, you don't understand. I don't have the words. I, I, I can't string them together like you can. I'm not articulate. I just, I just live my life. You don't need words. What do you need? Power. You need power. 
You need power. And if you're here today, you say, Pastor Don, I've never asked for the Holy Spirit. Do you know that the Holy Spirit, there's a baptism? You watch, you watch we do water baptisms, right? What happens in a water baptism? Is it a sprinkle? No, it's a full immersion. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be sprinkled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be fully immersed. Pastor Don, if you're telling me that I have an opportunity to have more of the Holy Spirit than I may have ever had before in my life, that the difference between me going and doing the things that God has called me to do is just me simply asking for power to do it, and he does, he does that? If you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, I want that Holy Spirit that you're talking about. I want that power that Jesus promised. I want it in my life and I want it now. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you specifically. Stand to your feet. All across this room. Some of you need to stop worrying about what other people think and how long you've been in church and whether you think this is if you need the Holy Spirit in your life in a greater way than you've ever had before to be taken and completely dumped under I want you to stand to your feet don't miss this opportunity if you need power it's very simple it's not crazy it's not a lot of fanfare it's just as simple as you asking sincerely asking he's a good God What father among you, if your child asks for bread, would give him a stone? Your father knows what you need, and he has it prepared for you today. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to lift your hands as if you were receiving. Father, we ask for the Holy Spirit. We ask for that baptism. We ask for that fullness. We ask for that manifestation of power that will allow us to be witnesses, that will allow us to proclaim what you've done. No longer are we going to be silent. And I pray, Father, that you would fill to overflowing every single one of your children. Some of them may be able to speak differently after this moment. That's okay. Some of them are going to be walking differently. They're going to see a power and a freedom in their life that they've never seen before. We trust in this moment. It doesn't have to be flamboyant. It has, doesn't have to be crazy. It can be as simple as a good gift waiting for us to receive. I pray for a boldness. That's how you know. You get to walk in a way you've never walked before. You get to have a confidence that you've never had before. And here's what I want you to do in your own words. I'm going to stop talking. But I want you to thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit. Thank Him in your own voice. down just a little bit some of you have a hard time receiving and that's okay but that's how you do it that's how you receive you just ask you say thank you and then you walk out of here different Father, we love you, and I thank you for empowering your people to go be a witness, to go be an inviter, 
to overcome the obstacles that they think that their flesh sees in front of them. I pray with a new spirit inside of them that they would walk with boldness and freedom, that they would know the authority that they have in you. You've made them royal. You've made them a priest. You've made them holy. So I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let me encourage you and then we'll pray and you'll be dismissed. You gotta wear it. You gotta wear it till it fits. Some of you are like, what's he talking about? I, I left here, I don't feel any different. Keep trusting. When you get in the car, put on worship music. Don't put on the radio. Soak in what God's done. Continue to soak in what God's done. Some of you are going to be praying deeper than you've ever prayed before. You're going to have a desire to read God's word more than you ever have. You're going to understand things in God's word more. You don't understand before you read. You read and then you understand. I've never understood God's word before. You've never had the Holy Spirit in your life either. Wear it till it fits. Amen? I want you to go and be a witness. We got some empty pews in here. And I know you know some people with some empty lives. Let's let this Easter be the Easter. How cool would it be to be born again on Easter Sunday? To have a resurrection. I want you to want that for the people you know in your life. Don't think that anybody is too far for God, that anybody's too far. I've prayed that God would send us the people that nobody else wants, that everybody else has a hard time with, that the moment they get here, it would feel like they were supposed to be here their entire lives. Can you help me be that kind of congregation for our people? Let me bless you as we're dismissed. I pray you live holy. You'd be led by the Spirit. You'd be in the word and in prayer every single day. I pray you'd be fearless, taking the gospel to your community, that your life would be marked by obedience, and that you'd stay on mission making disciples. And as your pastor today, I bless you in the name of the Father, His Son, Jesus, and the all-abiding Holy Spirit. If you receive that today, say, I receive it. Go in His grace and proclaim what He's done.